Good morning. That was an intense introduction. I'm going to bring the fire today, I guess, you know. Um, Let's try this again. Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and open your Bibles up to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And while you are turning there in your Bibles, your Bible apps, I will tell you guys a story. And this is a story of aspiration unto qualification. Aspiration unto qualification. When I was 12 years old, my feet could finally touch the pedals in my dad's car, Um, which my family is all from Wyoming. They're all kind of cowboys, uh, farmhands. And they told me, as they were telling me how soft my upbringing was, that when they could touch the pedals, they could drive. And so one faithful day, I, I walked out to my dad's car, which wasn't just like a typical car. It was a 5.0 Mustang convertible. It's literally the car that Vanilla Ice was rapping about, right? You know, 5.0 so my hair could flow, you know? And it was a, it was a nice car. And I got in there, and my feet could touch the pedals. So I walked in, and we were, we were away from the house. We were sort of on this little mini vacation up at Lake Tahoe. And uh, I reminded my dad that he had told me from a young age that he learned how to drive when his feet could touch the pedals. And now my feet can touch the pedals. And he looked at me, and I thought he was going to tell me no. But he goes, oh, okay, let's go drive. Takes me out there, teaches me the clutch, because this is a stick, right? Um, teaches me all about the gears and all this other stuff. And then I take off, right? First time, I just totally kill it. Second time, I just totally kill it. Third time, I get the thing going. And we go around the block, I stop, I ease off the clutch, push down on the gas, and I start to roll. And I get the hang of this thing. And I'm starting to figure this thing out. And uh, I'm like, yes, this is awesome. I've always pictured myself as a 12-year-old with a Mustang. That's just who I am. Um, Then my dad stopped, tells me to stop by the cabin that we were staying at. And he gets out and he goes, why don't you just keep taking it around a few more times? And I'm like, absolutely, dad, I will do that for you, you know? So I start taking the Mustang uh, around, the, just around the block there. But pretty quick, I realized that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty qualified at this point, And uh, I need to add to this thing, right? I have some more aspirations. My dad had just gotten a CD player put in this thing. And this was like new technology when I was 12 years old. And uh, he had dad music in there, which is the Eagles. Um, and I started bumping Life in the Fast Lane, which was the perfect song for what I was doing in this thing. And so then I realized, you know, this, this is a 5.0 Mustang, but it's also a 5.0 convertible Mustang. So I, unta- I attached the latches, I put, the, I put the, the top down, I roll down the windows, and I'm blaring this Eagles dad music going around the neighborhood in first gear. And I decide, this is fun, but I, I think we can see what this Mustang can do, right? Again, I'm pretty qualified at this point, and I got some further aspirations. So let me see if I can make this, uh, let me see if I can burn some rubber, right? So at a stoplight, I let up on the clutch really fast and push down on the gas really hard. And that thing does a 360 in like two seconds. It's, Wah! 
spot and then lands itself right in the ditch. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe I'm not as qualified as I thought I was. And so I'm trying to get out of this, but I'm kind of nervous because there's some, some people across the street and they're kind of looking at me, right? And they're kind of they're just like seeing if I need help or that other stuff. And I'm like, I got to get out of here. So, but I start just doing that thing when you're nervous of not putting the clutch down uh, slow enough. And I keep killing it right there in the ditch. And so they start walking over and I'm like, oh no. And then they realize what I knew all along, that I'm a 12-year-old in a Mustang. Um, <laughs> And they come up, they go, do you need some help? Oh, how old are you? And in my head, I had no idea what the day was that I was allowed to drive, but I knew that I couldn't pass a 16, so I just called out 14. And then I realized that's probably not the good number, right? That's probably not the number that would qualify me to be driving this thing. And they go, is this your car? What are you doing? Did you steal this? And I'm getting nervous and scared, and so I don't know what to say, so I just roll up the window. Right? (laughs) The top was down, right? Like, I couldn't hide. I just didn't want to talk to them anymore. And I was so scared. And I'm like, my goodness, they're going to call the police. This is where my life of crime starts. I'm starting to, I'm trying to start it again. I kill it like three more times. Whole thing's smelling like clutch now at this point. And then I see my dad coming. And I'm like, oh gosh, thank you. And he comes up. He, they look at him and goes, is this your car? He goes, yeah, this is my car. Is this, your, is this your son? Yeah, this is my son. How old is he? And he says something, which I wish I had this line. But he looks at them and he goes, he's old enough. And he tells me to scoot over. And I get over there and he gets that car out of the ditch and we go home, right? But that was the day that I learned that even though I had all the aspirations in the world, I still lacked in the qualification. And today we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy and talking about aspirations unto qualifications. Let's start with verses 1 through 3, and it says this. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Whoever aspires, circle, highlight, click. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a good thing. Paul is basically saying here the aspiration towards leadership is a good thing, but there's some qualifications. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. We're not done yet. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Now some of you guys are looking at that and you're saying, well, this isn't really applicable to me. I'm not trying to be like an elder or I'm not trying to be a pastor or an overseer of the church. That's, that's, and, and, you know, as he's saying he over and over again, and half the population said, that's not, that's not talking to me. Well, let me in on a little secret here about the Bible. Most of the Bible was not written to you. I'm going to say that again. Most of the Bible was not written to you. See, a lot of us, we read the Bible as if it was written to us. And that's not how we interpret the Bible. We have to understand who the Bible was written to, and then... If it doesn't seem like it applies, we have to go to the principle of what's being said through, a, through a, a tool called principalization. And so when we look at these things and you say, well, I, do I, is this really written for me? There's a principle here that anybody who's aspiring to, to be a leader or wants to be under good leadership should know. And it's this, 
Leadership aspiration is good, but leadership qualification is necessary. I'm looking at a world where we have a lot of people who aspire towards leadership, but not a whole lot of people who are qualified towards that leadership. Some of you guys who have bad bosses know exactly what I'm talking about right here. Aspiration is good, but, but qualification is necessary. I remember when I got the call to be a youth pastor. Now, this isn't like, like when, when pastors talk about a call, it kind of happens to all of us differently, but it's a really spiritual process. And it's not like God calls you on the phone and says, hey, you're, on, you're in the roster to be a, a pastor. No, it, it, it's, it's different than that. I was on a mission trip with my youth pastor, and I was watching him share the gospel, and I was watching him have fun with, with all the teenagers, and I was watching him shepherd us through the word of God. And somewhere along the lines, it just clicked. I looked at John, who was my youth pastor, and I just had this just spiritual urgency that I was the same thing as John, that I was made to do what John was doing, that I was called to be a youth pastor. I didn't know anything else besides that, so I took that information to John. I said, John, I think I'm called to be a youth pastor. And I thought, like, you know, at that point, he'd high-five me, we'd have, like, a special handshake, he'd let me into the club, and then basically I'd be preaching the gospel in front of the students, like, the next day. That's not what happened, because John understood that aspiration is good, but qualification is necessary. And so he looked at me, and he said something I'll never forget. He said, TJ... I don't know if I believe you. John, I just told you I want to be a youth pastor. I don't know if I believe you, but you can prove me wrong. And the way you're going to prove me wrong is I have a Bible study for young leaders every Wednesday at 6 a.m. And if you can make it to every single one of those for the rest of your high school career, this is, this is when I was a sophomore, if you can wake up, get, get there, and, and be a part of this group, then at the end of this, I will assume that you're called to be a youth pastor. But you have to know that as we go through this, I'm going to be con- trying to convince you that you're not called to be a youth pastor. Because if I can convince you of that, then you were never really called to be a pastor. You were never called to be the ministry. That's a serious situation. And what he did here is he, he, he showed me that qualification is how you get towards your aspiration qualification. And so I did. I showed up. We made pancakes. We memorized the word of God and we held each other accountable. And what John gave me that day, what gave me on those, those Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. was a starter kit, was a starter kit towards ministry. What the Bible does here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 is it gives us a leadership starter kit. You want to lead in your life. You want to lead in God's church. You want to lead in your family. You want to lead in your business. This is the godly way to do it. Here is the list. Here's the B's and here's the don't B's, right? Here's the B's and here's the don't B's. Now, if you're one of the people here who's aspiring to lead God's church, this is your roadmap. If you're a person who's trying to lead uh, your, your family or your business, these are good principles to live by. And if you're a person who says, TJ, I don't want to be a leader at all. It's not really my thing. Well, I'm guessing that you still want to be under good leadership. So these are the things that you should be looking for in the people that you are following. I'm going to read them out loud here, and I want you to get an image of this leader. Be above reproach. Be faithful in marriage. 
Be gentle, be self-controlled, be respectable, be hospitable, be able to teach. Don't be drunk, don't be violent, don't be easily provoked, and don't be greedy. Now when Paul, the author of 1 Timothy, wrote this, he writes this in big list, and Paul does this a lot when in his writing, he just sort of lists things. And when he lists things, he's giving us, these are the basics right here. I don't need to explain these because these are self-evident. Now, in the first century, to be a leader in God's church, these would be the things that he would assume that everybody would already know. Now, I want you to think about the prolific leaders of our age. Do they measure up to the godly standard? Paul goes further in 1 Timothy, and he says this, He must manage his own family well and see to it that his children, and see to it that his children obey him, and he must, he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? There's this, to steal a line from James Dobson, focus on the family here. There's this moment where it's talking about how leadership starts with the family. And the principle that we draw from this is this. The foundation of leadership is the home. The foundation of leadership is the home. Our home life should be what qualifies us and disqualifies us from leadership everywhere else. From leadership everywhere else. Guys, if we are going to be good leaders, then the place that starts is in our families. That's, that's, the, that's the first place that that stuff goes to. This week, actually it was last week, I realized how much of an attack our nuclear family is under right now. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's a lot of people who are rejecting marriage and family. I get to work with a lot of young people, and Britt and I were noticing this trend, and we were talking about it about a week and a half ago. And we were talking about how young people are choosing more and more to take their 20s off and extend their adolescence throughout their 20s. And they're not just making this decision on their own. There's a lot of adults that are go- coming around them and saying, hey, just, just, just have fun during this time. Be young, enjoy it, all these things. And that might sound like good advice, but the problem is, is that most of us who've had some success in life realize that the best decisions you ever made in your life probably happened when you were a young adult. I look back on my life and I think about my 20s. My 20s, I finished college, I married Brit, I, I, I started in ministry, and I had my first two children. And, and I bought a house. In so many ways, the 37-year-old version of TJ is living off of the blessing of the hard decisions the 20-year-old version of TJ made. And for some reason, we're telling young people over and over and over again to just take that time off. And we have higher anxiety rates than we've ever had before. People are, 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 are rejecting this nuclear family more and more and more. 
You know what grows you up? It isn't, it isn't a family class. It's actually starting a family. Maturity is the letting go of self. I can think of no better two things that helps you let go of who you are than marriage and children. Marriage and children. I think that God made us this way, guys. It's biological. Pregnancy is a whole heck of a lot more safe when you're in your 20s. You know, before God created any other person, he created two young adults. That's who he created. Before he even created babies, he created two young adults. And he gave them one instruction right, right off the bat. You guys know what it was? Some of you guys are saying it's kind of quietly, but it's a good one. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. And yet we're saying, fill the earth with your presence. You know, travel, figure out who you are. And when you're in your 30s, maybe you can make some of those decisions later. And, I'm, I, and I look at this and I, and I think, we're telling kids the wrong thing. Now, so then we get this population of young people who don't want anything to do with marriage and family. But then we do have a population of young people who want to get married, who want to find those people, who want to get started. And it's so incredibly hard for them because there's not a whole lot of people who want to do that anymore. And so this leadership that we're told starts in the family is now being rejected. And so we have a lot of people, now some of you guys are already ticked off about what I'm saying, and I know that this is a very controversial point because I posted on Facebook and people really didn't like it. But allow me to triple down on that, okay? Every decision that I made in my 20s, I'm living off of the blessings of now. I am living off the blessings of now. And the thing that qualifies me first before anything else to lead here at Grace Point is the fact that I lead my family. And I I usually like to tell stories about how I failed at things, you know, like when I ended up in the ditch with the Mustang. But one of the things that God has given me and one of the things that he's given me victory over is having a good family that I've been able to lead well. And if I were to look at young people and say, put that off, I would be lying about who I am and who God has revealed himself to be in my life. So, once again, the foundation of leadership is the home. But just because you get married and you have kids doesn't automatically make you a good leader. That's the starting point. That's that's the beginning. That's actually kind of the easiest part. Every pastor that I've seen fail in ministry, and I've been in ministry for 15 years now, and I've seen, unfortunately, a lot of pastors fail in those times and be removed from their position. The first indicator almost every single time is problems at home. Now, that's not for me to sit here and rub it in or do that other stuff. But yes, the thing that disqualifies us from ministry is when we don't lead at home well. When we don't lead at home well. So young people, I'll say it again. Find that person. The most important thing you should be doing right now is finding that person. Once you find that person, marry them and make babies. It's an all right thing to have out there. I did see one of these and I'm like... I got you. I got you. Let's jump back in the text here. This is 1 Timothy 3, 3, 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. So, right, so in order to be a leader, 
in, in God's church, you don't want somebody who is just an outsider, is now an insider, and you give him a place of authority. If you do that, pride comes before the fall, and oftentimes they become conceited, and they rise to the top, and it's not a good thing, right? So it's the outsiders, the outside, he can't be a recent outsider. Well, what does it say about outsiders? It says this, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders. Okay, so he can't be a recent outsider, but he has to have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace, into the devil's trap. Guys, the principle here, the thing we draw from this is this, a leader should, be not, should not be of the world, yet should still be in the world. I'm going to say it again. A good leader should not be of the world, yet should still be in the world. Now, you guys, think about this. Think about this statement. Now I want you to picture the person who best represents this in your life. And I know you're all thinking of me, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but I want you to think about that person. I want you to think about the, what, what qualifies them to do this. How they live their life. And what made them into the powerful example of the first Timothy leader in your life? Now, when I think of this statement, and actually when I think of all of first Timothy, one name comes to mind. One of the greatest mentors of my life. One of the greatest men that I've ever met. His name was Dan Wilder. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, um, it's probably because Dan Wilder was a really, really, really big name here on the peninsula. If you go into Port Angeles and you go by an auto dealership, you'll see uh, uh, a Toyota store, a Jeep store, you'll see uh, a Dodge, Nissan, Honda, Volkswagen, just big auto complex. And you'll see that it's under one name, Wilder. That was Dan's place. And when I met Dan, he didn't like me very much. He didn't like me very much, and the reason he didn't like me very much is because I was going really hard after a really beautiful young lady named Brittany, and Brittany just happened to be Dan's granddaughter. Oh. <laughs> and for a long time, me and Dan sort of stood in that stalemate, but eventually we found each other. We both figured out that we both really loved Brit, and we both really loved Jesus. And when we figured that out, Dan became one of the most influential people in my life. The person who I'd call when I needed financial advice. The person who I'd call when I needed spiritual advice. The person I would call when I needed encouragement or needed someone to pray for me. He would always pick up the phone. He would always be joyful when he talks. I, I, I can still remember the way he would, he would answer the phone. It was about 51 weeks ago that Dan walked um, into surgery and a few hours later walked into eternity. And he left sort of a crater-sized hole in, in those of us who knew his life. And I was thinking about him this week because I was studying this, but also I kept thinking of where does that come from? How did Dan become this monumental Jesus follower, businessman, influencer. And I know Dan's story because he wrote it down for us. And it, it was this. Dan was growing up in California, fatherless. He got his girlfriend, who would become his wife, 
He got his girlfriend pregnant when they were 14 years old. People came around them and said, hey, you're 14 years old. There's just no way that you guys can make this on your own. You should end this pregnancy. Those two teenagers made a godly decision even before they knew God. And that decision has blessed our generations and they chose life. That person that they gave birth to was Britt's mom. Her name is Tammy. They chose to raise this baby. They chose to get married. So at 15 years old, Dan finds himself with a marriage and a child in California. At this time, Sally starts going to church. Eventually, she gets Dan to come to church. He gives his life to Jesus, and that changes everything. Changes his whole trajectory. He decides in that moment he wants to be a youth pastor. He wants to be a youth pastor. That's his angle. But he didn't have a John in his life to take him through the qualifications. So he went to Bible college. So he shows up at 17 years old at Western Baptist uh, College, which, was now, which is now Corbin. And he has to work full-time, be a dad and a husband full-time, and also go to school full-time. And as he's getting through with school, he's also raising his family, and he's also rising up the ranks. He starts on a car dealership washing cars. And he has mentors in his life. He has First Timothy mentors in his life who tell him that work is worship and that you should do all things to the glory of God. So he works really, really hard. And by the time he's done there, he, by the time he's done there, he's rised up to be a parts manager in that place. And those first Timothy leaders come around his life, and they say, Dan, you're really good at being a minister, and we think you'd have a fantastic career as a youth pastor, but we also think you could make a dent for the kingdom, a big old dent for the kingdom, if you chose to be a godly business owner. And it was a hard decision. But he trusted, his, he trusted the leaders around him. And so he kept rising up in the, in, the, in the auto world. And pretty soon, two years later, like 20 years old, he's selling Ferraris and Porsches in Sacramento, saving up money. He saves up enough money to be able to buy his own dealership at the ripe old age of 28 years old. He's the second youngest auto dealer in the nation during this time. The second, the, the, but he's not just leading the way in the car dealership and in and, and, and business. He's also leading the church well. He, be, he meets his best friend, Mike Jones, the pastor of I Independent Bible Church. They take that little church together. They, he becomes an elder they, they, to, to just this little tiny Bible study church to the biggest church in Port Angeles over that decade. He serves his family well, and he spends the next 50 years doing those things. And like I told you, me and Dan, when we first met, he didn't like me. He didn't like me until I married Britt. And then when I married Britt, he got to fly us all to Hawaii because he won this national award. He was Washington State Auto Dealer of the Year, but he was also Time Magazine uh, Dealer of the Year finalist. And so he took us all on this vacation. And one night, Dan and I were talking and I made some joke about how he was rich. Like, it was some off-color joke about that, and I thought it would be funny. And he looked at me, and he goes, TJ, you know what? If I lost the dealership, if I lost all my money, if I lost all my possessions, all my success was just gone, I would still be rich. And I was thinking, well, that's a pretty big flex there, Dan, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, where's this going? And he goes, because I have my family, and I have Jesus. I have my family, and I have Jesus. 
You see, this godly man, this incredible business leader, who's probably one of the best leaders to come out of the peninsula, he focuses his success and his leadership back on his relationship with God. And this is, this is what he wrote. In the last few years, he, his health was getting worse and worse, and so he started to write his story for us. And Britt's been editing this to put together as like a memoir for the family. And uh, I read this last night, and, and I thought it was applicable for this story because, again, to me, Dan is the embodiment of that first Timothy leader. But he, he routes this back. When he thinks about where all that success came from, it came from this moment in his life. When he was 16 years old, new wife, new child, didn't know his dad, and didn't know God. He writes this. During that time, Sally had been going to church with my mother and my sister on Wednesday nights. Sally had just asked Jesus into her heart, which I told her would ruin both of our lives. At that time, I was very resistant to talking about Jesus or giving my life to him, even though as a younger boy, I had made a commitment to God. Also at that time, I had bought a little 14-foot fishing, uh, fishing boat that we could fish and ski in. The pastor of the church, Sally, and my mom attended, loved to fish, and Sally asked me to take him fishing. That was his way of building a relationship with me. The first night I met him, he came to my house, and I asked him if he wanted a beer, and I told him right then, there, then and there that I was going to spend the rest of my life partying with my friends and then go to hell with all of them. Eventually, we talked about going fishing, made plans. We went fishing a couple times, and he built a wonderful relationship with me which was incredibly meaningful for me because as a young man, I really never had a father. All the while, he was hoping that I would decide to follow Jesus. Well, well, well one Sunday, I finally went to church after fighting with my wife about it for, on many occasions. I often reminded her that, that she was ruining my life with this whole church thing. But something was different on that day. I recommitted my life to Christ during the service and oh, what a glorious day that was. That day, my life became so blessed in so many ways that I could never really share them with you. Guys, if we want to be the type of leaders whose impact lasts longer than we are, then what we have to do is take all of our influence and point it at the Savior. And the story of him redeeming our lives. And if we do that, then we'll become the type of leaders that are not of this world, yet still live in this world. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you um, for Dan, who's in eternity with you right now, God. I thank you for the impact he made on his family, his community, and his business and his church. God, I pray that um, we would all live a life that's worthy of the calling that you gave to us. God, I, I ask that as we reflect on 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, that we would apply these things and that we'd seek out godly leadership in our lives, that we would become godly leaders and we'd be the type of people who would bless those around us. God, you know we're kind of in an entanglement right now with our young people, with um, the politics in our world, with all of that stuff. But none of that stuff's new to you. 
So God, I pray that you would raise up in this generation leaders who can handle this moment. And that in this moment, God, you would, you would raise up leaders who would lead your church, who would lead your businesses, and who would ultimately do work unto worshiping you. And God, I pray that you would lead us as we lead your people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want you guys to have an amazing uh, 4th of July tomorrow. Somebody told me to, to tell you guys to have a safe one, but I, this is America, so just don't blow up your hand. Um, and, uh, yeah, and if you are brand new, uh, we have a gift for you in the back. I heard it's a bunch of firecrackers, so go get that. Um, and uh, we'll see you later. Thanks, guys.